Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Mind If I Crash podcast. This is the season three finale. This season came and went faster than I would like to admit. But we got a banger for the season finale. Today's guest I've known, fuck, my entire life, huh? More or less, yeah. Pretty much. We grew up together, um, and in high school, he started his culinary career, went to the JVS in the culinary program, and then after, hit Columbus and started studying the culinary scene. He's now a private chef for hire in the city of New York, but making big, big moves nation and apparently worldwide, which I'm excited to learn about. Um, before we get started today, guys, a quick, quick message from our sponsor, Life Widgets. It's not too late to enter into the cash giveaway. One of three cash prizes is going to be named this week. All you got to do to enter, download the Life Widgets app on the Apple and Android app stores. Add me as your first friend at Tristan Taliano. Immediately entered in to win. Um, before we get going... I want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for being my season finale guest because there's a big weight on your shoulders that you don't even know. This is his first time doing a podcast. so Yes, it is. Well, thank you for having else. me. It's yeah. a pleasure to be here. I'm happy to be a part of it. So thank you. Yeah, I mean, shit. So did you touch down today or was it yesterday? Uh, I touched down today. Um, I left New York at like 1030 this morning. I landed at n around noon. Um, and I kind of been hitting the ground since. It's been a busy last week for me. So a lot of my life is, you know, it's it's really about I'm never free. I just make time. Um, having that ability to really create something and be able to transition from something that I knew and, you know, starting off from a small town, you know, being from Lorain County, and now transitioning and fast forwarding my life five years to being in New York City, being self-established and, you know, working for myself. It's really a blessing. And I'm extremely grateful for the support I have gotten from people from back home, people here, um, my connections internationally from some of the restaurants I've worked at around the world. And even people, you know, that I still haven't met that I just like to chop it up with and get some information and kind of share and feed off each other. Absolutely. I mean, you live in a fast paced and creative environment. And honestly, so I, you know, I get it when you don't have time, you don't have time. When you said you were going to be in town, I had to take advantage. Um, so, I, you know, I kind of feel bad bringing you in last minute, but I'm glad you're here. So let's start at the beginning. What started this culinary journey for you? I mean, as a kid, was it high school? Where did this begin? So if I had to really pinpoint where it began, you know, um, for those of you who know me and my family, you know, my father owns Moosehead Grill. Um, so that's kind of where it really got started. You know, my father's owned restaurants longer than I've been alive. So when my brother and I were growing up, that's the time we got to see my dad because he was always working and that's just the restaurant life. You know, mm -hmm. it's a lot about sacrifice and really understanding, you know, it's not being a part of a restaurant is more so a single person's game. It's not built for families. It's not built for that time because your time is completely dedicated to your career and to your job, especially if it's passionate and it's driven by, you know, loving what you do every day. I believe that. Um, but that being said, you know, I kind of got that first taste. I was working with my dad from like 12, 13 years old, started bussing tables in his restaurants. And, you know, at first I, it wasn't really being in that environment that made it click for me, but it was a great first introduction. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, you know, once I started getting older, like 14, 15, I started cooking in the kitchen at his restaurant and I love doing that. Don't get me wrong, you know, it teaches you a lot of responsibility, timing, dedication and all those things, you know, those life qualities that you need to survive later on. 
but it wasn't really until I moved out and I went to um, culinary school in Columbus, Ohio at Columbus Culinary Institute, which was where I really kind of started to click. And, you know, I was like, you know what, like this is actually this is something I can see myself doing for a long time. And, you know, as the years yep. have passed, that passion has only grown stronger. So uh, explain like I guess, uh, skill, knowledge, uh, even just the challenge between going to a program that's, you know, trade based in, in high school to a full on most of your academic hours are covered once you get to a, a culinary college, essentially. Correct. You know, what was that transition like? Was that kind of extreme at the beginning? So here's what I'll say. You know, I was someone who never really cared much for school. It wasn't something that I ever put a whole lot of effort and time into, um, especially I'm someone with a lot of ADHD. So keeping my attention is quite I a hard relate. thing to do. I'm with you. Um, <laughs> that being said, you know, it was a great experience because, you know, I started at JVS in Lorain County. Um with most of the people who understand, you know, like you get to go to a trade school instead of going to a regular high school for your junior and senior year, you know, it really changes your perspective. And unfortunately, the trade industry is dying in severity, but it's yeah. something that our country and everyone's economy actually needs, you know, like absolutely people I know that are, you know, going hundreds of thousand dollars into debt in school and they're coming out to go work at a gas station or something that's not in their field. And it's like, they wanted to be passionate about what they love, but you know that passion didn't feed back to them. There was no opportunity on the no other demand. side of the door. Absolutely, no, I get that. What I've understood now is is insanely high pay rates for anyone with yeah. a trade right now. Yep, you know, absolutely. Um, who would have saw that? You know, like who would have saw that coming? Other than the people that learned a trade, you know. Now they're giving <laughs> exactly. a fuck you to the world right now. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, but yeah, no, it's the absolute truth. And like even stuff like carpentry and like plumbing and electricians and stuff like that. Like people mm -hmm. like consider is like oh like this is like a low quality job or something like that. You know, it's like it's hard labor. It's not. Yeah. There's nothing glamorous about it. But that's actually you know the more important stuff. Like you know you can have somebody go pay eighty thousand dollars for a philosophy degree but what's that going to do when your power goes out exactly yep you just start switching shit on the yep, breakers you like, don't know that you're playing you're rolling the dice on that and you might lose so i mean obviously that's that's something that i have to commend you for because i mean dude in high school that was a grind for me that was uh that was a rough struggle because of my adhd and you know my mental health shit that i had going on um, I could not see past tomorrow. So to be able to even say, hey, this might be something that I would like, let's entertain it. I mean, at a young age, I, I got to give you some credit there. Thank and you. I appreciate that. Right into college. So tell me about your studies in college. What is it that you learned? What did you start to kind of like? What did you say? You know, this is something that I wouldn't mind doing as a living. Um, You know, I don't know if I have a, a really direct answer for that, but I'll answer that question the best I can. But if I were to have to answer that question, you know, I'd say it was more so, you know, the environment. Um, a lot of the chefs that I went to school with and trained under, you know, like they all were extremely supportive and to the point where, you know, on my days free, I mean, I, I was working three jobs and going to school full time. Damn. Um, so I pretty much had about an hour and a half, two hours of free time to myself a day for that whole 16 months I was in school. 
Um, but it was definitely the environment, man. Like everyone there was extremely supportive. I was always pushing myself farther and like being able to understand and learn new techniques and recipes. I'm someone who's always very infatuated with the why. I want to know the why. I want to know the how. I I want to know, you know, what makes this click and what doesn't. What can I do in a moment's notice to fix this problem? Because that's a lot of what I do is coming to, you know, these instant conclusions because all day I'm having problems thrown at me. And, you know, if I'm in charge, I'm the one everyone looks at. I don't get to look at anybody else and pass that torch. Mm -hmm. It forces you to actually hold yourself accountable. And uh, honestly, when you, for me, and most honestly, anyone that's in the hospitality industry, when you get put in that position, most of the time you're going to perform. True. You know, it's either sink or swim. Yeah, I don't think people end up in that career path on accident. You know, yeah. I'm not talking about, you know, like a, an Applebee's or something. I'm talking real deal. <laughs> yeah. You're doing this shit. 100%. I, I, I don't think that's a, you know, a fluke, fluke chance. No, definitely not. So you, you get done with school and you obviously cram a lot of knowledge in 16 months. Yep. Um, what, what are your next steps in life right after that? Uh, so after that actually is when I began my story in New York. Um, you know, I was 19 years old when I landed in New York. In New York um, City, yeah, correct? Yeah, New York City. Beautiful. Um, so I was this green kid from Columbus who showed up in New York and, you know, I applied to a bunch of these different restaurants to get like an externship and only one of them actually responded. And I applied in Los Angeles, different parts of California, New York, Oh, Miami. you were ready to go anywhere. I was trying to connect however I could, you know, like yeah. being someone from who who's from a small town, you know, as I got older, I appreciated that big city dream and I always wanted to get out and see what else the world had to offer. And I'm so grateful for myself that I found that value in that and really chose to take that leap because otherwise, you know, maybe I wouldn't have done that. Maybe I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. And that's a very real thing. And it happens to a lot of people. And I don't think a lot of people realize until it's too late. The, so two things of that, because I love what you just said. For me as a kid, I always wanted to live in a city with a beautiful skyline view. Yep. I don't know. It's a, it's the city of lights, something like that. I was <laughs> absolutely. absolutely captivated by it as a young child. And uh, for a long time, it was New York. And then I went to New York as a kid. And basically, I destroyed a pair of all white shoes just from walking around. I said, maybe, yeah, man, that city's dirty. As yeah, hell. I was like, maybe not New York. But, you know, obviously, I went to Sarasota, Somewhere Florida, nice. loved it. <laughs> Beautiful skyline there. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I absolutely get it. And, and, you know, second part to that is you said most people don't get the chance. And I, I love to just shoot it straight. Most people don't get the chance because they have doubt in their self or in their dream. Absolutely. It takes a lot of courage, a lot of confidence in yourself to chase that dream. 100% agreed. Did you go out to New York without that set in stone? So actually kind of, yeah. You got balls, dude. Um, I'll give it to you. So when I got the message back initially from the restaurant that ended up being an externat called mm-hmm. Ristorante Marini, which was on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, which is right outside um, Central Park, but yeah. it unfortunately actually no longer exists. They demolished the building. It's now a housing complex, um, which sucks. But, you know, mm-hmm. like I had a lot of good times there. Um, truthfully speaking, I'm extremely grateful that that was the restaurant that called me back. That's awesome. Um, the team that I worked with there treated me just like family. You know, they made me feel extremely welcome. It wasn't hostile. Um, even the head chef, you know, Arthur Lee, shout out to you, Arthur. Um, you know, he took me in like his own son. 
Um, I really put in the work and I was really hungry to learn and grow. And I was so infatuated by being in this brand new city full of lights, full of people, full of life and opportunity. And it's like, it's really hard to walk away from that. Like it's hard for me as a person to look and go into New York city and wake up in the morning and say, you know what? This ain't it. I've never had a day in the five years I've lived there where I've woken up and felt that way. And that's having a passion. That's yeah. having a purpose. And and that is obviously, I think, the goal of life. Absolutely. You know, um, ironic that you even bring that up. You know, I even had that conversation today is, you know that you love what you do. And that saying when we grew up sounded so cliche to me. I was like, this is a stupid saying. No one loves <laughs> yeah. what they do. Yeah, that was just true. makes it work. Yeah, if that was true, I would take gym class four <laughs> classes a day because <laughs> I don't long. love what I'm doing. Right, exactly. You don't get down with some dodgeball real quick <laughs> exactly <laughs> and uh you know once i found what i believe is my true calling in life of just using my sociability to profit um i've never had a day where i said nah this ain't it you know chief called this ain't it i get up i'm excited to do it yep and when i lay my head down at night i'm grateful that i found this path in life absolutely you know and so 100%. I, I, i'm with you on that dude in addition to that too, you know, it's like, you, like what you said, like, you know, you wake up and, you know, it's not always the best days in the world there. I, myself admittedly, you know, I have my own days where I'm like, you know what, like, you know what, like, I'm not feeling all that great mentally today and maybe I'm not up to it today. But mm-hmm. the thing that, you know, kind of reminds me that I'm in the right direction that I really love what I do is that no matter how I feel about it, I still get my ass up and I do it. Yep. And I do it without a thought, you know, like I, for many years in New York, you know, I worked 20 hours a day and that wasn't even, that wasn't even in just one place, you know, like I would work anywhere from 10 to 13 hours at any given restaurant. Some of them were longer. Um, and I'll go into that when we talk about Peru. Um, but you know, I was working 10 to 13 hours a day and then, you know, I'm trying to build my own dream. So I'm adding an additional six, seven hours of my own time after wow. I get home from work. And then I'm working on my own projects, going to sleep for two hours and going to work another 13. You got, I mean, all right. So that is something I've, I've never done, <laughs> you know, um, that is amazing. And you're constantly creating. You know, as often as I can. The one thing I don't think most people will ever know or kind of be able to understand is the the true amount of stress that you go through um, oh in that God. environment. Yeah. So I got two <laughs> questions for you. One being, when you got that externship, was there any type of, you know, hire process or interview process that you had to? physically display skills and what scenarios you know in your early career did you actually have to you know get creative and put your skills to the test to impress you know another chef or a you know high value customer something like that Yeah, absolutely so to answer your question i would say you know when I first got there, again, like I said, I was 19 years old, and even being someone who's fresh out of culinary school, people think that when you go to culinary school, it makes you a chef, and that couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth, because it's not. It does Culinary school gives you a taste, but it does not at all prepare you for what's ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's an extremely stressful life, and it's a very lonely life, if I'm being completely honest, you know? Like, you spend a lot of time by yourself, and a lot of time in your head, and it's like, you know, being there, I was extremely excited. I was someone who's from the Midwest. And honestly, people, when I got there were like, even one of my old chefs, he was like, why the hell do you talk so much? And I was like, (laughs) I don't know. It's where I'm from. Everybody talks to each other, but New York, nobody gives a shit who you are. No one cares what you're doing unless you have something to offer them. 
Um, hey, I guess and, straight I mean, up respect. Yeah, I mean, New York's a very blunt place, and it's something I can definitely appreciate about straight it. to the point. Type like city. they do not play games. If they don't like you, they'll tell you right to your face. <laughs> and it's not even about disrespect; it's just about getting to the point. Like, yeah, that got, lifestyle is so busy. Yeah, they got shit to do. Yeah, I get that <laughs> exactly. Get um, but to circle back, you know, it. I don't really think I had much to offer at the beginning. I was more observant. Um, you and just know, ready I just to wanted learn. to see what was happening. I wanted to be engaged in the action and the environment and kind of really feed off that energy. And to give you an example, you know, when I we call them stages or trails um, in the hospitality industry, and it can go for front of house or back house, depending on your position, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. Um, that being said, the restaurant brought me on for a stage. So a basically trial period. Exactly. Yeah. So it's basically a working interview. And depending on the level restaurant you're at, awesome. depends on how involved you get. Some restaurants, like when you get into like the Michelin quality, some of them will literally have you standing there for 12 hours cutting microgreens and picking herbs and doing all this tedious bullshit work. Just so to push you? Just to push you because they okay. know that's going to separate you from the rest because... Mm-hmm. If you're if you're in a trail and there's another person there with you who's also competing for the same job, what you don't realize in that moment is that they're actually pinning you two against each other because they want to see who's going to hold out longer and they want to see who's going to give them a hundred percent despite the tasks that they give you, knowing that you're going to hate it. So there's some serious politics behind there. I mean, but it does take serious mental and physical strength. Oh, absolutely. To make that a, a lifelong career. So absolutely. I get that. It definitely does. Wow. Um, but like to give you an example, um, the chef that I was working on the past at the time, his name is Gordon Finn. Um, he ran the kitchen at the time. And when I was there, you know, they had a PDR. So they had a, that just stands for private dining room and private dining party. So someone rented out a part of the restaurant or they can even buy out the whole restaurant for that night for themselves and their Good guests Lord. and have full service. It's insane. I've been a part of one. Great time. Um, <laughs> I don't want to know what that costs. Too much money. Um, but I wasn't paying. So that's the reason why yeah, it worked. Um, right. But that being said, you know, the whole service, I could count on two hands how many times anyone made a sound in that kitchen. That's how well they work together and their cadence and their flow and their just the way they carried themselves. And everyone, like the chef, you know, the chef's the one running the show. Your line cooks are your team. That's your support. Mm-hmm. So if you're not able to teach your support and guide them into the right direction, you're going to fail. But that's okay because with every failure comes a lesson and a lot of people get caught up in that failure and they get stuck on that and that's what stops your progress. But for them, I was some kid who showed up standing in the corner like, holy shit, like these people are cooking this beautiful food, putting it down in sync perfectly without a hesitation. Like you see that confidence and it just kind of lights this fire on you and you're like, ooh, like what's that? Like I want to learn how to do that, you know, Mm -hmm. like. Like you said, it's a lot about mental and physical strength, but as I progress in my career, you know, it's really dawned on me how mental it is. Like, no, I believe it. It, my own mental health, I struggled with for years, and you know, I suppressed a lot of things because that's what people do, and you have to be able to be in a fight or flight, fight or flight mode, to where you either make it or you don't. Yeah. So, is it messed up? Absolutely. Do I think everyone should take serious care of themselves? Absolutely. Mental health is extremely important. It's not something I put much emphasis on until COVID happened because it forced me to face that. Yeah. Take a Um, look in the mirror. Yeah. And that's one of the hardest things to do, man, is look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what? This didn't work out because of me. Yeah. You know how hard that is to admit that to yourself? It's something you love got taken away from you by you. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Trust me. It eats you alive. If I could put it on the next person, I would. Yeah. You know, but when we got to get down to the basics... 
that's a hard pill to swallow. Most people um, usually have to face that point. At some point in their life, they have to face a scenario where they are the issue. Of course. You know? And it might take a few times. It might be, you know, relationship or relationship or job after job where you're thinking you're being wronged. And then in reality, you have to kind of, you know, dissect the situation and see what part do I play in this? Absolutely. You know, it, it, it takes some serious soul searching yes, to not only does. be able to identify, but then be able to formulate some sort of strategy or game plan and then move forward. No, 100%. I mean, that's, that's the, uh, the hard part there, you know, yeah. for me at least. No, 100%. Um, and even to like relate that to being a chef, you know, like, my last job, I was an executive sous chef of a restaurant in the West Village of Manhattan. I'm, I Which started is a there big when deal, I was I 20. Say. I was 24 years old when I started there. Um, I started on the line for a few months, and then my promotion came. And as the time progressed, you know, I kept climbing and climbing and learning more and picking up more responsibility. But what people don't understand is that, you know, so here I am, the chef on the pass, right? I'm expediting food. I'm making sure the plates look nice, finishing the sauces and garnishes and all that nice stuff. But what they don't understand is that if anything goes wrong in that kitchen at any point, it's no one's fault but mine. It's on your ass. I'm the one in charge, so it's my fault. Even if I didn't do it, it's my fault. Mm-hmm. So it's it eats away at you in a different way because it's like you you try to avoid putting it on yourself, not because you want to avoid the blame, but because you want to avoid the shit that comes with it. Yeah. Like that negative self-thought, that self-destructive behavior, all those things are very real and mm-hmm. they're very relevant in those situations. And it's like people are like, oh, you know, like how bad can it be? You know, like I've had interactions with chefs. I've been hit, kicked, spit at. I've had pans, plates thrown at me. I got hit in the chest with a cow tongue while I was in the middle of service at a Michelin star restaurant that I was oh, working at. Ain't no way, boy. Yeah. It's very militant. Um, and like it is extremely comparable to the military oh, i believe that the way it runs that. how you answer your chef can be losing his shit on you and the only answer you're able to give him is yes chef yes, chef. and he knows that <laughs> so when he puts you in that corner what's going to happen is he knows that's your only answer because he's trying to break you mm-hmm. he's trying to get you to he's baiting you he wants you to give him another answer so he can go harder you guys are pit bulls in a lot of ways. You <laughs> yeah. know, you guys are pit bulls in life, but also, you know, very, very disciplined. And that's something that, like, if you if you someone understand it, you can kind of see the beauty in it. It's a beautiful yeah. thing, you no, know. It is. But you you even said it, you know, you stand there as a kid with no knowledge and watch them work and sink. And, you know, some people they have a mess up, they they fixate on it, they obsess over it, and it holds them back. Where do you find that balance of like in the moment, hey, I'm going to put this aside and move forward, but then circling back? Like, is that something you got to like reflect on at the end of the night? Like, so, how do you move on from that? Truthfully, it depends. Some people do a nightly self check and some people kind of like evaluate it once their weekend comes. Um, it really depends on how much mental strength you actually have and how yeah. heavy it is. How long um, you can hold on to right. it. Right. Like, and that's something like. If, if there was something I would compare being a chef in New York to be, picture a tank or even an ocean full of hungry sharks, right? Now put a fresh seal that just got killed and it's bleeding out in that water. It's open season all the time. Yeah. And it's very high stress. It's very, very disciplined. And, you know, if you are one of those people that doesn't fall in line, they will make sure you fall in line or they'll kick your ass out. And probably blacklist you because I'm sure they all are connected in some way. It's 
food is just about just as much about politics as it is food. Yeah, I believe that. I and so riddle me this. You maybe you can give me some more insight. Is it more so ownership that has that political um, power, or, or is it the chefs, the head chefs, the executive chefs themselves? Um, you know, I guess it really depends because at the end of the day, the owner has a final call, even over the head chef. You know, like mm-hmm. you can be the head chef of a restaurant, put out this beautiful menu, and if the owner doesn't like it, guess what? Tough shit for you. That food ain't being served. Yeah, and that's so, gotta be that's that, gotta be yeah. irking. Sometimes. Do you know how difficult that is for someone who has zero experience in what you do? telling you how to do your job telling and you not even in think. a disrespectful way it's just like you put so much pride and love and effort and so much sacrifice into this career and everything comes with it so for someone to come in like it literally feels like they're shitting on you yeah like you literally are sitting there asking yourself where did i go wrong like mm-hmm. you're questioning your own abilities but you're the only one that's certified to actually make those decisions yeah, and, and and when you break it down to its roots, especially at the level um, that that you guys are competing in, your 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 basic goal is to use your creativity and your skill set to create something that brings joy to other people. Amen. And I'm sure in a situation like that where you kind of you know get snubbed or you know someone turns their head away from it, that has to feel like shit. It does. Most of the time, though, and this is just from observation, but usually the line is always going to stand behind their chef. Not just in that scenario, but I'd say pretty much any scenario. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you know you're 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 riding for your chef, or your line cook was riding for you? Um, I've definitely had both happen. I've also been the disruptor. Um, Mm -hmm. I've worked in some extremely hostile and toxic environments to where like I was the only person that had enough confidence in themselves to stand up for themselves and for the rest of the people who didn't have that strength to do so. And like, it sounds so like, I don't know, it sounds like a kind of like a, I don't want to say it in a negative way, but like, you know, like a pity, like you, like people look at you and like, oh, well, like, why did you stand up for them? Like they have their own voice, but yeah, you're right. They do have their own voice, but just because they do doesn't mean they feel comfortable doing it. Yeah. Let's not forget. We're still fucking humans at the end of right. the day. Like, like we got feelings yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Shit. They want you to perform like robots. And exactly. And a hundred percent sure of that. Yeah. I mean, working 20 hours a day. I don't know who thought that was obviously you're the one doing it, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know who thought that that was like, yeah, let's let Davey keep doing that five six seven days a week yeah and see how this turns out you know absolutely but you have to understand too you know like me making that own decision for myself you know in in hindsight i wouldn't have done it that way ever again Mm -hmm. it really did a number on me and it took me a long time to realize that yeah Um, i believe that you know i was shit they for in the last five years i've lived in new york you know i've probably most nights i'd average between three and five hours of sleep even on my days off Um, because I was just working, working, working. I was trying to network and build my name and, you know, get my name out there. You know, I went from a city of what, 20,000 people to a city of 8 million. Yeah. So think about how many other people you're, you're competing with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's part of what drove me and kept me pushing myself hard. was, you know, like, okay, like I'm satisfied in what I did today, but I'm not satisfied in my overall experience. Mm -hmm. And that that kind of curiosity really kept my my passion alive because you know you can you can love what you do and you can still come to a point where you don't love doing it anymore and that's okay there's Absolutely. nothing wrong with that 
Um, but it's important that you realize it when that time comes, because if you're doing things that no longer serve you, you're the one that's going to pay the price. Oh, yeah. And it gets toxic, dude. It's yep. like a bad, fucking yes, it bad does. relationship. Amen. It goes to shit quick. Very quickly. Um, guys, we're going to take a really quick break. But when we get back, I want to pick your head on everything that you've basically learned from kind of going off on your own, you know, absolutely Putting in those extra hours and now where you are today. So guys, we'll be right back. We'll see you here in a second. Guys, before you go any further, I should warn you the next 30 minutes of this episode, if you're listening to it only on the audio platform, whether that be Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, anything like that um, is going to have some distorted audio on my end. You can still hear Chef pretty well, almost crystal clear on his end, but mine are going to almost sound like they're distant because my mic dropped at some point. Um, obviously, guys, if that's not really something that you're going to be able to sit through, by all means, go to the YouTube channel, Mind If I Crash, watch that segment. I will be sure to cue you in um, on the digital episode so that you can know when to go back to the audio format. Thank you, guys. Let's get back into the episode. All right, guys, and we are back after a not-so-quick break. We spent a little bit of time catching up. you got to keep in mind, you know, I haven't seen him for years. So um, I want to get now into, you know, your your own, um, you know, destiny in life and what you wanted to pursue um, outside of the work hours, outside of your, you know, say, 9 to 5, even though it's probably much longer than that. Yeah, um, much longer. You, know, you had a dream to eventually do things your own way or be able to create without restriction. Walk me through, you know, the beginning and, and where it's at now. Um, so at the beginning of my time, you know, like I'm basing this off of my time in New York because that's when I really came into my own. Um, I wouldn't say I was necessarily creative at the beginning. I was just very curious um, I had a lot of random ideas and I started writing a lot of stuff down on my phone of different recipes, different ingredients. Like I, even if like, I'd be like, Oh, well, like I saw something on Netflix or something like on a dish at a restaurant that I ate at. And it was like, Oh, I would literally write down one specific ingredient. And then I would spend the next few days kind of just like marinating on that and, you know, being like, all right, well, what flavors would go well with this? What textures would go well with this? How is this going to become aesthetically pleasing? Because at the end of the day, you know, people love food. I love food. I live to eat and I'm still skinny as hell, um, which is surprising to me to say the least. But that being said, you know, like it, it engages you in a different way. Um, and people eat with their eyes before they eat with their stomachs. So it could be, it is absolutely key. And everyone wants to pull out their phone these days. Your phone eats before you do. And I'm very well aware of that. (laughs) Shout out Max. (laughs) Yo. um, We should tattoo that shit on Honestly, it wouldn't be a bad idea. (laughs) Um, But that being said, you know, it's true though. Like, especially, you know, chefs in New York have all this like, microgreens and all these herb gardens and stuff that they use to kind of add a little bit of extra finesse, you know, like any of the restaurants I've worked at or done, you know, had a tasting menu at, you know, I've spent anywhere from 150 to $300 for an eight to 10 course meal or sometimes even less with alcohol. You know, some restaurants offer wine pairings, so you can pay an additional fee for that too. Um, But if I want to, you know, really 
indulge in the experience and really kind of fully submerge myself, yeah, I do want that wine pairing. I am going to spend that $500. Oh, yeah. Um, to Bottle some people, that sounds, yeah, cheap. like, that sounds crazy to people who don't love this. And, like, I'm definitely someone who feels like sometimes that can be true for my own self. Like, there's restaurants that I've looked at their menus, and it's no disrespect, no nothing to them. Because, you know, the day I respect anybody that works in the hospitality industry. It is not an easy job to have. You're constantly serving others, so it's very easy for you to forget to serve yourself. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy how easy it is to fall into that, too. Um, but that being said, you know, working in the hospitality industry is just, it's a different beast. And, you know, I've gone to restaurants where I've spent $300, and I went and got a dollar slice of pizza afterwards because I was still hungry. Do you know how aggravating that is? For That's someone who spends all that time in the kitchen all day, saves up this money to go have this nice meal and then they just get let down or maybe the food isn't as good as this claimed to be you know like people love to clout chase yeah man that is criminal there are some restaurants that are in new york and you know around the country that like just the tasting menu itself is anywhere from three to 350 there's a restaurant in columbus circle and 59th street in manhattan um called masa do you know how much it costs to sit down at that table just to sit down? Tell me. $650 a person for an omakase style sushi tasting or sashimi, I'm sorry. Um, but it's all flown in from around the world, from Japan and all these countries. So like all this product is coming in day of. So understand that, you know, you're spending all this money, but you're also paying for that premium quality product. And, and freshest of yeah, fish. like that, that fish was killed two hours ago and here it is now you know like and i mean two hours is definitely a short window it's still less yeah than 24 hours. but it's less than a day out yeah like as soon as they get to order for it that's when they make it start so yeah like i've definitely had some disappointing meals in the city and i've had some really really great meals ones that have kind of inspired me to keep pushing as a chef and kind of forced me to look at it from a different perspective because you know like when you're a chef and you go out to eat it's not really it's not a regular experience. It's I don't not go like the everyday person. Right. I don't go out to eat to just have a meal. I go out to eat because I want to I want to eat food that moves me, that wakes me up. This is, "Oh wow, like, you know, I didn't know this could taste this good. I didn't know these flavors went together. I didn't know this was such an interesting texture." And then that starts the cog in your brain to where all you're thinking about is what can I create with this? And that's when the passion keeps furthering itself. And that's when you keep waking up and you're like, shit, what am I going to cook today? <laughs> like, I don't even buy groceries. I don't go grocery shopping. I just buy the ingredients for the dishes I feel like making that day. And that's what I eat. That's that's amazing. To be, I don't think... <laughs> Some people would call it stupid, but so I like love even, it. <laughs> even me, that like, obviously, like, I got a family and shit. Like, that would be insane for me to do right now it's very french but, uh, <laughs> dude like also amazing at the same time that is fucking that's sweet I thank like you that. thank you so with your with the uh, you know as a private chef you 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 carry uh, a lot of responsibility from start to finish you know tell me does someone reach out to you or do you reach out to them like how does that process begin um, so there's a number of avenues you can go. And I mean, I've only been doing this full time working for myself as a private chef um, outside of a restaurant for a little over a month. Okay. Um, but that being said, you know, 
it's you can work with agencies there are private chef agencies that you can hi- get hired into in like california new york la all that miami whatever um they still represent you some some way they they represent you in a very loose way but they take a majority of your cut oh, because shit. they take it as a finder's fee i have friends that work for these private chef companies that were doing you know four or five course tasting menus that i would charge you 200 dollars a person for yeah and they're charging that same rate or maybe they're charging a little less but that agency's taking 40 percent of that whole cut they're taking 40 percent, almost half of what you're making and that's not even including the labor costs who you have to hire to work with you your ingredients your transportation your timing bruh yeah like it's 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 crazy to think about because like you know it's easy to fall into that because you know being a private chef you can either really go gung-ho and just do your own thing and you can be the one reaching out to clients or having your own website and it's not that easy it's not that easy you know like it but at the same time like that having that agency is a safeguard that's comfort to us because Mm -hmm. that lets you know that like you know there's someone else there that if you can't do it on your own someone's going to help you get there they're just going to take a fat chunk of what it is you're making they're going to keep the leads coming in yeah it's like but it's going to cost you where do you pick the right path? It's like, do I put, do I put full faith in myself? Because to be a um, talented, experienced, and knowledgeable chef is one thing, but then to almost pick up the slack of like the front of house or a, a you know a sales rep or something like that. Right. Um, not everyone is skilled with that gift of gab or being able to negotiate. It's like, that's a whole different ballgame. It's a different skill, and it's one that I'm still learning. Like, Mm. you know, learning how to talk to people and learning how to engage with them in a way that is ultimately going to benefit your goal. Yeah. Like, you know, doing business, and it, it sounds a little rough saying it like this, but, you know, business is partially about manipulation, that's about products are like okay so i have this product but how am i going to get you to buy it yeah and if my avenue isn't working my first option isn't working great so now i'm going to plan b so now how am i going to shift your mind into buying my product how am i going to shift your mind into finding value in me and what it is i'm selling yeah because it's not necessarily like you're showing up with a dish like here right right exactly you know explain this so um you know, you, you, you meet with a potential client, right? Do you walk them through or do you kind of like to have like an interview or a, you know, meet and greet where you guys figure out, you know, what they want, what you can do, how much it's going to cost. And then do they decide like what even takes place in that initial meetup? Um, so it can actually go a few different ways. But basically what usually happens is, is say like, Okay, say, you know, you're a client and you're looking to hire me, right? Mm-hmm. So you, in this instance, we're going to say that you reached out to me and you said, hey, chef, blah, blah, you know, I really love your work. I've been wanting to eat your food. Like, what is it going to take for me to hire you? So then that starts that dialogue. So me as the chef, my next step to reciprocate that interest and show you that, yeah, like I would love to do that for you. Because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. if somebody's cooking for you, they're sharing their story. They're showing you what they love. They're showing you the things that made them who they are. And that's something that a lot of people overlook. And it's like, that's the majority. That's the heart of cooking is getting to share your story and getting people to understand who you are. Right. Like I'm not just putting up food. I'm putting up me on a plate. 
And a lot of people don't get that. And a lot of people don't understand that concept. And that's okay. That's Not everybody has to. That's a, that's a cool way to put that. Like, but it's real. It's true. Right. And that's so why I like that. to follow up with that, you know, like my next step would be, all right, so I'm going to ask you, do you have any allergies? How many guests will be in attendance? Do you need rentals? Do you need glassware, stemware? Do I need to buy tablecloths? Does the staff need a certain sort of uniform? Mm-hmm. Um, and that all depends on the quantity of people that you're catering for at that given time. Like the style of event, right. things like that. And like, you know, I do family style plating. I do individually plated. I do buffet style. I do catering to go. It just depends on what they want, but you know, you offer them your options of what you have available and then they decide. So like, say you wanted, you know, say it was you and five other guests and then you wanted a four course tasting menu. Great. So I'm going to charge you $150 a person, Mm -hmm. but out of that $150 is going to come some of the food costs, is going to come some of the labor because at the end of the day, I have to take that out of the final cut because until you establish yourself, you're not able to really charge in a way where you can say, you know what, you're gonna rent me a car so I can get to and from the location. Mm -hmm. You're gonna pay me X amount. Because if you don't have that clout and that following, you can't expect people to feel that that giving to you. And it sucks, but it's real. Mm -hmm. Um, It really sucks, because it's like you can put all your heart onto a plate, man, and someone can just shit all over and be like, you know what, I don't like this. And you just sit there and you're like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. That crushes you. That's yeah. probably worse than getting ripped by the chef, you know? You're uh, like, yeah, ah. arguably, depending yeah. on the day. <laughs> depending on your chef's mood, uh, yeah, for you sure. You're not getting hit by the cow tongue, that's for Right, sure. yeah, maybe, no, fuck that maybe. noise. Um, <laughs> but that being said, you know, like, I would send you that sample menu, and then we would work on a menu together and go back and forth in, like, Google Docs or via email and, you know, decide what it is exactly you want. Because at the end of the day, like, when I create invoices for my clients, they're all custom-made, you know? If, if you want a four-course menu, you know, it doesn't always have to be $150 a person, but it does count on what the products are and how much they cost. Right. Because I can't, I can't give you a five-star experience with a one one star budget. With a cheese well, yeah, with like a cheeseburger budget. Yeah. Budget. Like right. and that's true. And it's like I don't know, like people people spend a lot of money on stuff like high fashion clothes and all this. And like don't get me wrong, I love looking nice. I love having nice style. I get it. Mm-hmm. But like people don't understand like hiring a private chef is a serious flex. Like yeah. being able to be like, you know what? Like I got it so well that I'm able to hire somebody to come into my home or my location, my office, whatever, and say, you know what? He's going to cook for us today. I did this shit. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. people, people value things in different ways, but, like, being, having, being able to hire a private chef is a, is a flex because, A, it's not cheap, and, B, especially yeah. if, like, you want to do something for, like, a birthday dinner for your significant other or you want to have just a simple date night or you want to have a birthday dinner from a bunch of your friends, you know, like, that chef, me being that chef, I can, I can cater to whatever it is you need. Right. You're flexible. Right. You, you know enough. To be able to basically create that entire meal. Yeah. that takes, obviously, uh, a lot of knowledge. Yes, it does. Plenty of things. And at that point, it's like, you don't even have someone to kind of fall, not fall back on, like, right. shit goes bad, but more so, like, mm-hmm. fall back on for, like, hey, let me spit all this off you. Or, right. It, it's all on you. It's all on you. No, you're 100% right. Um, and that's probably the scariest part. 
Well, not yeah. the, but one of the right. scariest parts for sure, because it's like, you know, when you're in a restaurant and I was an executive sous chef, you know, I still had a head chef that I answered to. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I still had someone that was above me that if shit hit the fan, you know, there was there was a ladder that it was coming down before it got to me. Right. You catch some. Yeah. But not all. But not all. And when you become a private chef, there is no safety net. It is just you. And when you when you make a mistake and it happens, I've made mistakes. I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. Nobody's perfect. No matter how much they claim to be, nobody is perfect and you know I've had moments where I'm like oh shit like I I made a really big mistake and I got about 30 seconds to figure this out before (laughs) shit hits the fan and fortunately because of my experience and because of working in restaurants and a lot of the cool stuff I've been able to be a part of so far you know it's like it has allowed me that ability to adapt like all day at my last yeah. restaurant, you know, people are asking you questions all day long, and a lot of them are repetitive. A lot of them ones you've already heard twenty times previously. People you work with, yeah, are asking? like okay. the the people you work with, the people that work like with you, like mm-hmm. under you, whatever it may be. You know, like restaurants are constant communication, and like you know, it's it's a lot of repetitive, like a lot of repetitive instances where. People will say, hey, like, hey, chef, how do you want me to cut this? And you're like, I asked you to dice it. And, like, you're not even trying to be rude, but you're like, I already, I already said this to you three times. Why are we still having this conversation? It'll start to drive you fucking mad. Right. If you keep Absolutely. doing it. Right? But as a chef, here's what I must say. The second you lose your cool, it's over. Really? It is over. Because your team is what really matters. I could be the most talented chef this world's ever seen, but I'm still not shit without a team. Can't run the I can't do everything by myself. Yeah. And that applies to every single occupation. Mm-hmm. Whoever's, whoever's top of that food chain didn't get there by themselves. They don't do it by themselves. They pay people who help them get to that goal. Right. And just because you're the coach, a coach can't go out there and win a fucking football game. Right. By himself. <laughs> right. He needs that team. Shit, and he needs yeah. that team to operate within... Um, not just not just neutral um, camaraderie, but like at peak, uh, perfect relationships. You yeah. Know? Like you guys, obviously, you guys, especially in in the restaurant industry, you guys have your beefs, but yeah, you guys are a family. Absolutely. Like, and that is what is yeah the most important. Cue the Vin Diesel thing that you guys are fucking doing. Right <laughs> family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that little fucking yeah. Guitar. No, but that's true though. And it's like, you know, I've worked at restaurants where there was a lot of camaraderie. And that first restaurant I worked at in New York City, the front of the house and back of the house went out together every single night of the week. Yeah. Even if it was a shitty service, they still, we all had love at the end of the day. And there are not a lot of places that have that. I've worked in environments where it's been the complete opposite in the front of house hated the back house and the back house hated the front of house and it showed it showed in the service it showed in the environment the staff morale it showed in the numbers of sales that hurts the owner yeah like the person who's paying your bills is the one that's taking the fall because basically adults want to act like children absolutely whatever it is and it's never anything that big nope the beefs are always over the most playground bullshit when you're in the hospitality industry it's holy shit. Looking back on some of the scenarios I've found myself in, I am like, how? How is this even relevant? Yeah. Right now. And the crazy thing too is, you know, like, especially like 
is someone that, there was someone I was talking about this with, and I think it's a great idea, but I would get banned in a matter of minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> is you know creating an app that reviewed shitty guests, shitty diners, people that were disrespectful to your staff and expected the world. Dude, someone fucking said this to me. Like, do you understand how many people in the restaurant industry would go nuts if okay. something like this happened? Like, we would all, yes, exactly Dude, for f- for poor that? dining guests, absolutely. That, I would get banned so quickly. <laughs> fuck me up not knowing who said this, but dude, I'm with you. Yeah, I would, I would 100% go on that app and share. Like, if you let other customers too. Oh, you know what it is? It's fucking Life Widgets, the proud sponsor of this show. They actually have that available. Are you serious? Swear to God, you can now make de- uh, re- like reservations to not only restaurants but bars based on the demographics and their overall. Um, like clients, like yeah. who comes in, um, you know, what places generally have higher tips, things like that. Yeah. It's like, bro, if you can leave a reverse review, oh my God, like, just like how Google is like, you can see off one review, how many reviews that person's left and then you click on it and it'll show you if they're only leaving bad. Yeah. Then they have like a negative, right. you know, title. It's, that would yeah. be fucking beautiful. But, I agree, but here's the downside to that, and it's it's a downside because at the end of the day, someone's still going to pay the price for it. I'm not saying that their behavior is anything I would ever condone because I don't. Um, you know, working in some really hostile environments has really pushed me to be that difference and to make sure that I never treat anyone like that because mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate being treated like that, and it really does a number on you mentally. Oh, I believe it that. really does. Like you start to believe it, and you then you start telling are. yourself that. Like some of the spots I worked at, man, like. The chefs were so aggressive in a way where they never had to put their hands on you, but they manipulated you mentally so badly that you would beat yourself up worse than they ever could before they even touched you. All they had to do was look at you and you'd start freaking out in your head. Did they want that? Yeah. That's sick. That's some sick. Here's what I'm going to say. It is definitely sick. Um, But at the same point, like, you know... A lot of these big name restaurants, a lot of these world's 50 best restaurants, these Michelin star restaurants, man, they're run on one thing, fear. Mm-hmm. And why I say the word fear is because, you know, I'm a prime example. I came from a city of 20,000 people and then moved to a city of 8 million. Now, again, keep in mind how many people I'm competing with for the same job. I still want to be top dog at the end of the day. Right. So... These chefs see that all these kids, like all these people are willing to travel from all the corners of the world to work for them. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Together to try to yep. Make it. And guess what? There's the thumb. They that's already the, got you. That's the first fear. Right they there. already got you. Yeah. And because they know that when you are someone who's trying to be someone who's either the best or someone who's great or someone who just generally loves what they do, you know, like people take advantage of that. And they, they disguise it on a name like, oh, I'm just trying to make you a better chef. I'm just I'm trying to do this. Mentor, right? Yeah, no, but that's not it. Mm-hmm. Like these chefs that have this world renowned, you know, notoriety and they have this clout, like, you know, they, me as a cook coming into this world-class restaurant, you know, and I'm green and I want to be a part of it and I want to be able to put this on my resume for my future opportunities. Mm-hmm. So... Here I am sacrificing myself and my time and my emotions and my health and everything else under the sun. And if you don't leave on the right terms, 
they'll pretend like you never existed. So you just threw however many years you spent at that individual place in the fucking trash. It's for nothing. Though. And it's not even your fault. It's because of their egos. And chefs have this huge ego and they think they're gods and they're not. Chefs are not gods and never will be. <laughs> um, and it's something that really has a serious plague on the industry because that. that's where that, that toxic masculinity and that just overall toxicity comes from mm -hmm. is that ability to have that control and know that you're abusing it to someone who has a good heart and just wants to do what they love. Yeah, and honestly, I think that, like you said, this is an industry that not for every, it is not for everyone. Definitely not. It can be a lonely industry. And people also typically, um, I'm not going to call them predators, but they definitely prey on weak-minded, uh, lonely, green individuals. Most people don't care who they have to step on to get to the top. It's not an easy climb to right. the top. Definitely to not. That notoriety or that high status. You don't know probably some of the terrible things that these celebrity chefs that people idolize probably had to do to get to that yeah, point. Yeah, 100%. And that's the thing too is like there's a lot of truth in that, but also there are a lot of chefs out there who do genuinely care. And like Arthur Lee, my first chef in New York, man, he was the, the silver lining in that. He was the one that showed me that. He showed me that respect, you know? Like I started off just, you know, probably, I don't know, I was there for like a year and a half, almost two years. And I started making the bar snacks for the restaurant. I started rolling the foie gras and all these things because he kept teaching me them because he saw I was engaged and he saw that I loved what I was doing. Yeah. So like having a chef that understands you as a person, even if they've never met you and they're still learning who you are, like there is something to be said for that because there are a lot of chefs in this industry that don't have that, that uh, ability to connect. That's a beautiful thing, though. Yeah. That, there, I don't think there's anything more beautiful than someone who is willing to mentor you for no other reason than to watch you improve. Right. There's, it's like the most selfless act you can do, when, especially when it's someone who is at the top of their, at the top of their level, yeah. top of their game. You at that point when you reach that level, you know you you do have a responsibility to be better. You do have a responsibility to teach these this youth. You know that like you do have the opportunity to be great. You do have the opportunity to really you know be a part of something, and you can be so much more than what you are, what you think you are, That's what you think name. you're capable of. Alrighty, guys, we are back, and you should be able to hear both sides of the vocals crystal clear now. Once again, guys, I want to apologize for that interruption. Um, if I knew that was happening in the process, I would have tried to prevent it, but here we are. Um, so getting back into it, still deep, deep into the career and the aspect of what it takes to be a private chef and kind of what that, what that heart requires, you know, what the heart, mind, soul needs to continue pushing forward. You know, what, um, what would you say if, if you could give any bit of advice to an aspiring chef what would that be um if i were to have to give one piece of advice i would say shut your mouth but keep your ears and eyes open um you know you learn a lot being just observant and it was something that it took me a long time to kind of get to that um that understanding you know when i got to my first restaurant in new york I was one of the loudest people in the kitchen and mm -hmm. me and one of my friends shout out Anthony Paulino he and I were menaces on that line man like <laughs> we'd be working garmage and we'd have a good service don't get me wrong but like 
we were loud and we'd be cracking jokes and having a good time and people around us would be like yo like shut up like we're trying Please. to work here but we're <laughs> like nah 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 like i'm gonna let you hold that because i'm having a good time right now yeah so you know and your kids too like you guys right. have to remember you're yeah you're young i was 19 at the time right um but that being said yeah you know keep your mouth shut Open your eyes, open your ears, listen to the sounds, listen to everything that's going on around you. You know, there's a, 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 a saying that we have in the kitchen is, you know, the initials are TKA, you know, total kitchen awareness. You need to know what's going on every single second of your day. Yeah. Because that can, you know, result in you dropping food on the floor. That can result in you getting a super nasty burn. Oh, that yeah. That can result in you accidentally getting stabbed by somebody's knife because you bumped into them or they were traveling to the sink to go clean it mm-hmm. and they didn't know you were there or you didn't know they were there. I think that if there's anything that I've learned, and I've even talked about this on past shows, you know, even with Dylan, for instance, you know, the kitchen calls are something that I implement into my life still to this day, you know, like (laughs) even here in the house, like especially with like a young girl, like young, my young daughter walking around and Jocelyn, I'll make knife calls, knife, knife, hot, hot, corner, corner. Like if I'm in the grocery store, I still call corner when I'm fucking hitting them. I still say behind and people just look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, shit. And they're like, this motherfucker's hitting calls right now. And (laughs) I'm like, God, but it's real. But that you are one hundred percent. That will that could fuck up someone's night. Absolutely. You know, at the very least, you drop a plate that was a critical part of that party's you know ticket time, right? Whatever Their it may total be. experience. And uh, there's no taking that back. No, like once not. you fuck up in a way that could have been prevented, it's on you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I like that. You have to be completely aware of what's going on, and you know. A lot of a lot of young cooks that aren't seasoned yet and haven't really, you know, worked their way through the ranks and understood the ropes, you know, like they're going to be the ones to challenge that thought. And they're going to be like, oh, like that doesn't make sense. You know, like I can still have a good time and still be serious. But in reality, you can't. You're either invested mm-hmm. or you're not, you know, like and that goes with any occupation, any passion that anybody has is, you know, you're either all in or you're not. You can work hard and play hard, but you got to separate the two. Absolutely. And I think in that scenario, couldn't be any more relevant or, right. you know, true. Absolutely. I agree um, with you. But that being said, you know, kicking it over to the private chef side, if there is a piece of advice I can give to anyone who's aspiring to be a private chef, you know, it's that do not attempt to do this without working in a restaurant for at least 10 years first. And that sounds very grim and very dark and such a negative light. But no, the reality is, is that you learn how to adapt to these situations and you learn how to fend for yourself and you learn how to gain that confidence and how to guide a team because, you know, you're not always working with people you're comfortable working with. You're not always working with a team that you have history with. So it's like you constantly have to be ready for something to change at a moment's notice and have an answer like that. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That is your job. So being a private chef is all about at the end of the day it's falling on you it is your responsibility over anybody else's over the people who you hired to do your front of house who you hired to help you cook for the guests themselves it is on you and only you because you are the ringleader in that sense but if you don't have these experiences in kitchens you don't learn these calls that people think are stupid but to us they make a lot of sense and they're efficient they're effective right um you know you're not going to be able to adapt in those situations where you need to to a point where you know it could affect you getting hired again it Mm -hmm. could affect that because now you're not relying on a restaurant to be like oh you know this is where i work it now it's only on you 
Yeah. So now you're so so now me being a private chef saying hi, you know, I'm David George. Nice to meet you. I'm a private chef. This is what I do. It's my menu, etc. You know, okay. But understand that all they heard in that was you're David George and you're in charge. That's yeah. all they heard in that. So when they have questions, when something goes wrong, when they're looking right at you. Yeah. When they want to know why everything right everything but you comes can't, to you you can't come to those conclusions if you don't have the experience first yeah like it's just it's not possible and i don't want to say that in a in a bad way because you know like at the end of the day anything's possible if you put your mind to it and you could do it but you are going to be so burnt out and distraught that chances are you might give up because you don't have that that sense of confidence in yourself because if you make a mistake and then the next time you have an event or a dinner and you make another mistake, you're going to start to put the two together and you're going to sit there yeah. and you're going to you say, you shouldn't walk in blind either. Right. That would you, be the, the, a disservice to your, to your clients. Absolutely. And again, you're asking them to pay the same amount of money they would spend in a restaurant. So understand they're more, looking for a restaurant quality experience and nothing less. Mm -hmm. Through and through. Like to give you an example, you know, like I actually attempted to be a private chef two years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was working at John George's in Columbus circle at the time, which is on 59th street in Manhattan. And I had decided, you know, I went and spent a month cooking in Mexico and I came back and I was like, you know what? Like I miss cooking. I miss being engaged. I miss sharing my story. I miss cooking for people because that's what I love to do. Right. But at the same time, you know, like I tried it and I failed miserably. I fell flat on my face and that was so hard to accept that despite all the work I'd put in, people weren't willing to hire me. And that's got to suck. It, that feels like a, probably a rock bottom in some yeah. ways. Right. And you know, we all have different rock bottoms along different parts of our life. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, there's not always just this one grand incident that happens. that is a deciding factor. You have multiple highs and lows throughout every point of your life. Yeah. And for me, that was a big low because I was like, I've worked by the time I was, 22, I'd worked for two of the world's most influential chefs. I had worked in two countries. I'd worked at a world's 50 best restaurant. I cooked at Burning Man. I cooked for Hillary Clinton at a restaurant I worked at. Sure. Like all these things that, you know, people aspire to reach for. And I truly encourage everyone to push themselves to get to these because I'm an example that you can do it too. Right. You just have to believe in yourself. And at the end of the day, when you hang your head and you think about your day and you say, you know what? Today may have been shitty, but I still learned something. I still gained something from this. Mm -hmm. It's all about your perspective. Because I was sitting here feeling sorry for myself. Like, oh my God, like I did all this work, but no one wants to hire me. Like, what's wrong with me? Yep. And it starts this like imposter syndrome. And then negative, right. negative effect, right. Absolutely. And then you fall into the imposter syndrome where you don't believe you can do it. And then you're always going to have that safe place working under somebody else because you're afraid because you think you already have the full conclusion of what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that being said, you know, now I work for myself for the second time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. Um, I work for myself for a second time now and I took a second chance of myself and yep. I was fucking terrified because I didn't want to go through that again. Yeah. But you hit that feeling, feel those feelings right. again. But that being said, you know, like here's what I will say. The second time around, I'm booked and busy. Well, you Everyone's calculated putting your opportunities risks. on my plate right now. I've calculated my risks. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm willing to take and what I'm not willing to. 
And it's been crazy because it's like, you know, people have a hard time understanding. It's something that I still struggle with greatly. It's like understanding that you might be on the right path, but it just might not be the right time. And maybe you haven't done the right amount of work yet that it takes to get to that level of success. And that's a hard pill to swallow, man. When you put it in 60, 70, 80 hours a week for years back to back. Mm -hmm. And then you're sitting there empty handed and you're like, where did I go wrong? What did I do? What am I not doing? But the reality, you could be doing everything perfectly right. You're just not doing it in the right way or you're not engaging in the right way or it's just not the right time for you. Yeah, and that's like accepting the universe yeah. to deliver when things are right. Not What's when that shit we people think say right. when Mercury's in retrograde or some shit like that? Whatever it is, <laughs> I'm sure it's true. Oh, yeah. hold on now. Monitor on. All right, we're back. Um, so we've talked about, you know, the the... Coming up, we've talked about some of the lows. Tell me about some of the highs. I know you've worked in a few different countries. I know you've done some pretty dope events. Talk to me about some of that. Um, so one of the more interesting events I had the opportunity to do when I first got to New York was the restaurant that I worked at. Um, Hillary Clinton and her campaign team actually held a dinner at the restaurant I was working at. So Damn. they came through a secret service, bomb dogs. Like they ID'd us. Yeah. Okay. Um, 2016, 2017, I forget when exactly. Right. Um, but that being said, yeah, Hillary Clinton pulled up to our restaurant pulled and up secret, <laughs> secret service was there. And I have never in my life felt more in prison while being free. It is all fun and games until you see all these secret service officers showing you their guns, giving you a look like make my day. Those Please. dudes, yeah, they don't like, give you any room none. for air. Like we couldn't leave the kitchen without being escorted. We couldn't go to the bathroom without being escorted. We had to leave the building for an hour for them to sweep the building for bombs. Secret service was watching, was with They were you? surrounding the building. They were in the kitchen. They were in the dining room. They were surrounding the building entirely. They were everywhere. They were in front of the elevators, all exits. That's unsettling. Yeah. As fuck. It's crazy. And it that's is a, a crazy experience. You literally feel like what you're in the prison. Fuck? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, some officer comes up to you and sees like you're looking at him, and he'll just come up to you and flash his guns that are strapped on his chest and just gives you that look like, go ahead, make my day. Yeah. And you're like, no, sir, not today. I want to <laughs> live. <laughs> you might have a chance with those chef knives, though. Yo. Always not, keep them sharp, baby. Sure, listen, I don't think you can throw enough fast enough. There's like four, <laughs> they're like 40 deep. Yeah, those dudes are, are modern day cowboys. They got a quick draw time, yep. dude. Honestly, some John Wick <laughs> shit. Um, but yeah, like that was one cool experience. Um, I did have the opportunity to live in Peru for two months. Um, I lived in Lima and that was such an amazing experience. Um, so to kind of shed some light on that is like I got the opportunity through a continuing education, like growing like chef's program called mm-hmm. the Mentor BKB Foundation. Essentially um, like studying abroad. Right. And they have all these sponsorships that sponsor young chefs and competitions to get them to travel around the world and, you know, get to work in other restaurants and experience other walks of life and cultures and, you know, learn different techniques and styles and recipes. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to do it twice. Damn. That's Um, sweet. I did. The first one was two months. I lived in Lima, Peru, and I worked at a restaurant called Restaurant Central. At the time I was there, it was number six in the world. Damn. Um, it's shit. a 16-course tasting menu based on the altitudes of where the ingredients are harvested. So it's constantly changing? It's constantly changing. Holy shit. Um, but, you know, it was so crazy because, like, you come from a place like New York where you have all these different tasting menus. And then you go to Peru and see something like that. And you're like, 
I was confused at first. Uh-huh. I was like, I've never done something like this. <laughs> but it was really, really, really cool. And I met some incredible people. I still talk to the majority of them to this day. That's awesome. Um, but like to kind of shed light on that, you know, I got sent out of New York for two months. They matched my salary. They paid for my housing. They paid for my transportation. Damn. Um, and all that. So, you know, I went to Peru with... X amount of dollars they sent me with to match my monthly salary for two months. Mm-hmm. And that translated to just shy of $20,000 in Peruvian currency. Damn. I lived on a 19th floor of a brand Living new like studio a king, apartment baby. with a balcony, a doorman, an elevator, the whole nine. Jesus. On someone else's dime. And then I got to go work at the number six restaurant in the world. And I worked 17 hours a day there. And I've never had so much fun working for that long. Just didn't mind it. The people Go there in. are incredible. They love to help. They love to joke. Like, it's not like what you would expect. Like, when you hear the world's 50 best, you're like, oh, shit. Like, this is going to be serious. Like, there is no room for anything. And don't get me wrong. That very much applies. Right. But they approach it in a different way. They don't approach it in that pretentious, egotistical bullshit way. They They're approach not playing it with the politics. The pride and being able to express themselves and show how proud they are of their culture and their country. Yeah. That was one of the biggest things for me when I moved to New York. Coming from Ohio and moving to New York, do you know how many people I met that just came up to me and were talking about how proud they are of where they're from and their country? Like, it was unreal to me. It's like, humble. I dude. have never experienced that. And you're right, it humbled me greatly. I was like, wow, like, I'm from the US. Like, I, I don't, I can't say that <laughs> shit about where I'm from. Like, yep. I'm not proud to be from here. Like, uh-huh. maybe that's a little messed up to say, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, like, I've never met so many people who just genuinely loved where they're from. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is crazy to me. For the experience that yeah. they've lived through and been given. And, like, even the, nice. the first week I was in Peru, man, like, we, I was taken out to one of the biggest fish markets in Peru. Um, and it opened at four o'clock in the morning. So I was working from like eight or 9 a.m. until about 1 a.m., 2 a.m., maybe later sometimes, depending, um, the hours changed. Mm -hmm. Um, but that being said, like that first week I went to, I worked 17 hours. Then the chefs looked at me and said, Hey, we want to take you to the fish market. I'm like, absolutely. Like we're out. And he's like, well, here's the thing. It doesn't open until four in the morning. So at this point it's like midnight and I went with two of the chefs who were there at the time and they took me to a couple of rooftop hostel parties and we just had a blast and partied our ass off for a few hours. Burned some time. Yeah, and then we went to this fish market at 4 a.m. and I've never seen so many different types of seafood in my life. And it was so crazy and everyone was just, all these vendors packed in tight, tight spaces, like so proud, like coming up to you, like not even like hassling you, but like they know they have your attention, especially if you're a foreigner. And that's where all the chefs in Lima get their produce they from. So do you're, their shopping. you're working for a powerhouse, watching other powerhouses in their natural like habitat, for lack of better words. Dude, you're that's watching the most how chef they pick shit. that seafood. You're watching how they go about it. You're watching the quantities, and then you compare it to what you're seeing, what they're actually doing, and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, like, I went to this this fish market and we picked up a bunch of ingredients and then we actually went back to one of the cook's houses who went with us in the house he lived in at the time. I don't know if he still lives there. Mm-hmm. Um, they transitioned it into a restaurant. So the bedrooms were Shit. in the walls. Like they had side doors in the restaurant and that's where they slept. 
but there was a full service restaurant that was the committed base of their to home. This life. They were committed. Right. So we pulled up to the house at 6.30 in the morning. Sun's coming up. We're exhausted. No We've been up for 24 hours at this point. And they just start cooking. And they turn on music super loud. We're just dancing, laughing, drinking, having a great time. And like they made one of the chefs, Brian, who's phenomenal chef, great cook, great human being. Um, he made a ceviche in the style of Argentina. And I learned about that. And he explained that culture. And he explained the why and how and, you know, the timing of it. Learning And things. then one of the other chefs and cooks, Seti, he made a Peruvian sudado, which is like a, a fish and shellfish stew. It's very traditional Peru. Mm -hmm. Oh, my amazing. God. Like, it was so amazing. And it was like, it... It was a different experience, but in a great way because it not only connected you to a country, but it showed you the food. So you yeah. got two levels of connection to something you're unfamiliar with. So me being brand new there, like being ready to grasp every piece of information I can get, I'm like blown away. I'm like, holy shit. Like, I didn't know this was possible. It's a true piece of the culture at that point, too, because it's not obviously these are um amazing chefs yeah but it's almost like a home style meal in that in that right. scenario because it's it's truly showing you the culture of where you're at there in peru right you know you wouldn't have probably seen that on your maybe you would have seen it on your menu but you might not have and you definitely probably wouldn't have seen it in new york right. so it's like that's a once in a lifetime opportunity right. thank god you stayed up all night absolutely to be able to experience yeah. and learn something like that and that's what i'm saying you know like that's when those sacrifices are worth it when you know you're dead you're dead tired but you're like you know what there's mm -hmm. something really cool on the other side of this that if i hang out for just a little bit longer Gots i'm gonna to get to experience through, something boy. absolutely <laughs> um but that was like only a number of things like it was so crazy like i was working on the past and like it was an open restaurant with a glass divider. So you're here cooking and like I'm on the pass plating and the guests are looking at me directly. They're watching me the whole time. They can see everything that I'm doing. Damn. They be talking to you sometime? They, trying they can't to, get that at least. close. Okay. Because there's a glass divider. But if there wasn't, absolutely. Wow. Like there was a time where they actually sent me out to a few tables to speak to the American tables. And they were surprised when cool. I came out. So I was walking over table side to these guests who were dining at the restaurant with us. And I got to walk them through a dish that I learned in my time in Peru. Right. And I got to share that experience. And you see that connection and you see them engage in it. And it's like, it just keeps that fire alive. And it's a, it's a feeling you can't describe. And it's a feeling, uh, fuck, 95% of the world will never get to experience that. Maybe more. I think like you got the one percenters that are like wealthy. You got the one percenters <laughs> that are like uh, that talented enough or ambitious enough to even experience that in yeah, life. Absolutely. You know, that is, that's an amazing part of your journey. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, but yeah, like just stuff like that. Like, like I said, the menu was based off of altitudes of where the, where the ingredients were harvested from. Whoever came up with that fucking genius. Shout out Virgilio Martinez. There you go. Head chef, owner, central. I'll find a picture of you on Google and put you on here. Please do still up right now if you guys are watching this it's still still going um so you also said i, I forget what year you mentioned but you worked burning man right yeah so i did burning man in 2019 which was a wild experience oh, so recent fairly recent yeah, then right how, before uh, covid how the fuck 
how the fuck did that happen? So one of my friends, Blake, shout out Blake, big Vern, big Kern, big worm. I see you. (laughs) Um, He actually went to school with this girl named Val um, and she was an event coordinator. She had ran um, the Brooklyn Mirage for 10 years. She spent time in Ibiza. So that's like what she went to school for. I mean, I don't remember exactly what she went to school for, but it ended up being what she did. That's cool. And then she got into festivals and all that and she reached out to Blake about it and Blake hit me up. And he hit up a group of our friends in a group chat. And I was like, Burning Man? I looked it up, saw what it was about. I was like, sign me up. Put together the dream team. Yo, huh? So I ended up going out there for, I was there for 10 days. Um, and it's so wild, man. Like, it's not something I can describe. It's something you have to experience. I believe like, that. A constant 24-7 party everyone's having a great time it's like all about like sharing and community and giving back to each other like but it's also like survival because you're out in the middle of the the nevada desert keep in mind you're on federal property Mm -hmm. the whole time this festival is the size of manhattan good lord and it has its own sewer system like its own like sanitary measures they have garbage trucks that come and pump your rvs if you have it they do all that they do cleanliness they like the the way that the the camps are set up is mm-hmm. like on a sundial so it's like actual streets That's so right. like we were staying on 315 and j so you're going 315 is the time and j is the cross that's so it's sick. like an intersection. Mm-hmm. So you actually were able to communicate with people and all these different camps had all these different events going on, like giving away drinks, like, you know, like literally like playing drums that were attached to like gas kegs that when you when you when you made contact with the drum head, it would shoot a flame up Jesus. and it would also correspond with the drum. Like it was a full-blown circus in the best way possible. You're right. dancing your ass off, not knowing what time of day, what day it even is. Like, you have no phone reception. Mm-hmm. There are emergency medical tents, and that's it. Like, there are people that stay in tents. There are people that stay in RVs. There are people that rent campers, the whole nine. You can do it however you like. But you're there to basically break down and just be a fucking human being. Right. And it's all, it's extremely spiritual. And I'll talk about that because that connects to my time in Mexico. Um, But it was extremely spiritual and like Mm -hmm. a lot of Mayan rituals and stuff like that and cultural, you know, rituals that showed. And it was like, whoa, like you think like you're here to just like, you know, more or less get fucked up and have a good time. But like, it also like teaches you things too. It's much deeper. And yeah, there's a lot deeper meanings to it. But like. I was cooking out of an RV for two clients for the first nine days because Blake wasn't able to make it out because he had something else going on. So he finished the last three or four days. Okay. And then I flew back to New York. Um, But I was out there, man, cooking out of an RV, three meals a day. I did um, sous vide lamb legs, 15 pounds each for 30 hours sous vide in this giant ass Cambro in the middle of the desert hooked up to an RV. We had grills set up. We had... Um, you know, like a standing uh, range burner setup, so we could cook like we were at a restaurant. So you had a dope fucking setup. Yeah, let me let Who's me tell RV you this. Whose RV is this? Huh? Whose RV is this? It was rented, and okay. to give you an idea of what it costs, if you want to live big there, because it is not cheap. Oh, I'm sure. Like big, I could not afford to go. If, go to Burning Man. I could not afford to go if I wasn't hired to go. Mm-hmm. Like mm, our clients for two weeks, more or less. 
and they flew into the festival on a plane. $350,000. Wait, that's what it costs? That's what they spent. Oh, It doesn't have to cost no. that much. Yeah, right, right, right. But yeah, to get that, They rented wow. three RVs, hired two private chefs. They hired an entire event team. We built a camp with them with a diamond chandelier. Everything, man. Everything. <laughs> Bruh. Yeah. What? Yes. And then we went out and partied with them, too. Like, yeah, when no, we'd that, finish that, our day, dope. they'd be like, hey, like... You know, the event coordinator, Val, or um, Freddie, who was the guy who was really in charge, who unfortunately was a piece of shit. Um, but, like, he would be like, all right, guys, come on, like, we're going out. And we'd all go out, and then we'd just have a blast and dance. And, like, you can go to all these different camps, and, like, one is, like, reggaeton, and one is just, like, house music. And, like, but it's so loud that you can literally feel the bass blasting through your chest. In your, your chest. soul, right. Like, it is physically moving through you that's yeah that's sweet yeah good food good drink good people good music yep what else can you ask for i mean yeah and that and that's what shows you the the love uh, in the world yeah you know like it's it's through all of those scenarios or all of those things right. that you know people express and show and celebrate love yeah and you put it all together and you're bound to have a much deeper experience than just let's go to Burning Man and get trashed, bro. Yeah. It's like it's so much right. more than that. Absolutely. It definitely is. And when I got there, that was what I was, the impression I was under is that we were just going to get fucked up and have a good time. And it was like, yeah. yes, that happened. But at the same time, like I did learn more about it. And like I saw the sense of community and all that. And like some people actually claim that Burning Man's a cult. And to an extent, I believe it's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, but people at the same, live and die by that experience, yeah, I'm sure. Absolutely. And, you know, once you go once, like you want to keep going back. Like mm-hmm. it's crazy. Like, like I said, like you can't describe it. You have to experience it for yourself. Right. Like yeah, there's no I mean, better way to put it. If I could, if I could, I would. Um, but. Yeah. I settle for watching documentaries, <laughs> vlogs, whatever I can, yeah. or, and you know, in this scenario, interviewing you so that I can figure out the, the true experience that that right. has to offer. You know, um, obviously if I ever become famous for some reason, um, yeah, I'm going to Burning Man. I'll go to fucking As Coachella, you, you know, I'll, I'll go, I'll go experience <laughs> those things should. for fucking sure, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, guys, we're going to take a super quick break, but when we get back, We're going to rattle off a few questions about the life of a New Yorker. We'll be right back. Alrighty, guys. And we are back. So living in New York, where did you live? What, where, what of the, where in the boroughs were you? Uh, so I live in Manhattan. I'm bordering the Bronx. I live in a neighborhood called Washington Heights. Um, predominantly dominican area it has kind of like a split like dominican and a jewish area it's like both on different sides um but i've always lived on the dominican side and it's always a party it's always loud it's always a good time there's always people out in the street like when i first moved there man like there was all these families lined up all the way down the block just playing dominoes till five six seven in the morning drinking brugal having the time of their life and like they didn't you know it shows that you don't need to spend money you don't have to do all these extravagant things to just truly enjoy yourself. And they did it day in, day out. Right. And they're not necessarily living in New York large, you know. They, right. I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming most of them um, were born in New York and 
will die probably in New York. Like those are lifers, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends. It can go either way. Um, a lot of a lot of what happens from my experience, from what I've learned from my own friends. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like I was born in the U.S., so I can't speak from my own personal experience. But like a lot of them, what happens is like their families will stay in that country and then they come here and they make the money and they send it back. The majority of people I know yeah. make money, work two, even three jobs, and then they send the majority chunk of it back because they're going to make more money here than they will back in their home country. So they're able to help support yeah. their families and build those dreams. And that American dollar and most right. other countries yeah. holds a little bit of a higher value. But like, so. I have so much respect for that. Like, I'm fortunate enough and it's a privilege for me to only have to worry about myself. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have anyone I have to send money to. I don't have a sibling I have to help raise. I don't have any of these responsibilities that are very, very real that a lot of people don't understand and a lot of people don't talk about. We overlook as Americans most of the time. Exactly. And you know, like I was definitely blind to it before I moved there. And then once I actually experienced it and saw it happening in real time, I was like, shit this is real yeah yeah and it really makes you grateful for everything you have and your ability to wake up in the morning and say you know what i just get to focus on me today same thing with kids that go to school man like people don't understand the privilege of what it is to just be able to go to school and focus on school and not have to work and not have to provide and contribute something because i know a lot of really great people who've got spit out of cities like new york on of things that were out of their control. Yeah. Do you know how I'd feel after everything I've been through in that city to be told, guess what? You can't stay here anymore and it's not your, like it's nothing that you can do to control it. Yeah, you can't fix it, I but you gotta go. I would lose my mind. Mm-hmm. I would lose my mind. No everything question Everything you've worked for, everything you've, you've put your work and essentially, you know, your life's work into just taken and you can't do a thing about it. Right. That's heartbreaking. Yes, there, it is. You it know. is truly heartbreaking. And that's also where a lot of people lose their passion because they feel like that's the end of the road for them. I mean, that's getting dealt a hard hand. Yeah. You know, I can sit here and say, you know, we can sit, both of us can sit here and say, you know, there's a lesson to be learned in everything. And of course there is in that situation. But some lessons, dude, it takes some time. It yeah. takes some time to sit and you got to feel something like that. Agreed. You know? Yeah. Especially when it's out. Like, how do you even assess... I'll do this next time. I'm going to I'm going to dust myself off, do this when you can't, you yeah. know, in that situation. That's a hard that's a really fucking hard blow to take. So. Yeah, cuz then it takes you right back to the drawing board and you know, it that's where you find out if you really love what you do because mm-hmm. if you really love what you do, you're going to take that loss, you're going to internalize it, you're going to go through how you feel about it, and then you if you really love what you do, you're going to find the positives and then you're going to rework your plan and then the next time that's when it's going to work. Right. Right. And that and that and that's not always that it's never actually easy. No. I'm not going to say it's not always that that is never easy. No, it's not. Um and it's not ever going to it's never going to come easy. That's not ever something that you can just stumble upon and be right. handed like, "Oh, here's this handout." Yeah. You no. got to fucking work for that shit all day all night. So, you would say for the most part, I mean, and and I know, you know, obviously before we went on air, but your communities are are very very tight. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. Everyone kind of looks out for themselves. If you belong to that neighborhood where, you know, you've been in New York five years, you are a part of that neighborhood at this point. You know, like you are one with them. Um, How does that work? You know, you said you said. 
for the most part, it's it's half Dominican, half Jewish. Do, do they at some point meet? Um, I'm not saying just like in everyday life, but like where does like does the housing meet at some point where the two communities are actually together? Yeah, or it does. Because um, there's also a Jewish uh, university that's on that side as well. So okay. like that's kind of where that split happened. But again like it does mesh together one it's not two divided neighborhoods it does work cohesively right there's not a concrete fence right and at the same time too like the all the neighborhoods in new york that were like you know, like uptown like the bronx washington heights you know places like that you know that people are like oh like people here are uptown and you're not from uptown or you don't live uptown people are intimidated by that mm-hmm. people here uptown and they're like Ooh, like he takes balls or yeah, something. Yeah, because right? they're like, I don't know what happens up there. I don't spend time there. But the reality is, man, like living uptown, like that's where the creativity starts. You I like see that. all these kids that, you know, maybe they don't have much in life, but they have a lot to offer and they have a dream. Got a vision, yeah. They have something they're chasing and then they go out and, you know, maybe they're not successful at first. I sure as hell wasn't. And you know, then they make something of themselves. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be in the next two to three years. Mm-hmm. But if that individual decides to keep pursuing what they love, sky's the limit. Yeah, eventually that's, that's just going to pop. It will come through. You right. just have to keep believing in yourself first. So in those scenarios, obviously, you see some amazing things happen. Some amazing artists, musicians, street performers, yeah. all kinds of Everybody things. Everybody loves street performers in New York, man. Oh, they are, I mean, they it's, are it's, truly talented and of a different breed. It's a part of New York. And then I think anytime – it's such a big part of New York that, like, even, uh, you know, the media and, the you know, the movies and shows, they can't even overlook it. Like, they have to put that in because it wouldn't be a shot of New York without right. a street performer. Absolutely. Like, when I ride and the I subway every day to and from work, most days I see someone, you know, singing in the subway or performers dancing and doing full routines while the train is moving. Doing some bugged out shit. They like, doing while a train is in motion, they are flipping, rolling, doing backflips, like literally like distorting their body around the poles that people are holding on to yeah like it is serious talent and it takes a serious amount of dedication to get to that point like that's got to be crazy to see in person i was watching this little clip the other day uh, actually jay-z was saying he's like you know like we as people we see the final product and that's what we base our interpretation off of but we don't Mm -hmm. see the hours the days the nights that goes into that routine we don't see the hours the days the blood the sweat and the tears that goes into that plate we don't see any of that we just see a final product so it makes it easy for people to come to a conclusion and say oh well this person could do it so so can i but when they really face the reality of it and see all the things and obstacles that that person or those individuals had to endure in order to get to that level of success or whatever success means to them, they're like, wow, I did not expect this. And exactly. a lot of times they give up. It's easy to think, oh, that 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 can be easy or I can do that. Or it's also easy to overlook, bash, um, yep. you know, shit on someone's work. And it's like, if you have any sympathy at all and you actually got to look at what it took for some people to uh, give you that final presentation, 
you, you would never, you know, yeah. you would never. And especially because this obviously brings me into my next question, you know, especially if it's a if it's a dish or if it's something that you just might not have the uh, acquired taste for, you know, right. like just because you don't like it doesn't mean that it is bad. Right. You know, obviously there's some meals that if they're shit, they're shit. I agree. But, um, you know, New York is known for some of the best restaurants in the world. But it's also known for having the best street food in the world. Yeah. And in particular, some things that not the everyday person knows is, you know, the Jamaican beef patties, the chopped cheeses, yep. you know, the Absolutely. fucking New York hot dog. As sus as a glizzy might be, that <laughs> shit hits different in New York City. Um, I don't eat those, but I'll, <laughs> let, you, I'll let you hold that. <laughs> Tell me, what is your favorite street food of all time in New York? Um Maybe so, tell me this. What's your favorite? What's like an everyday I could eat this shit? And, um, oh, I forgot about pizza, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, what's something you haven't tried yet? If there is anything you haven't um, tried yet. So, every day, I can guarantee you, and if you've ever followed me on Instagram and you've seen my posts in like in the last few years of like me cooking eggs at two o'clock in the morning every single day of the week repetitively. <laughs> Um, shout out to y'all. Um, appreciate the support. Um, but that being said, you know, like I eat a bacon, egg and cheese almost every single day of the week. New York staple for sure. Salt, pepper, ketchup, chow. Keep it simple. That's it. I like that. Get it everything on bagel. American cheese. Keep it simple. Plain boy or, or everything? Uh, it depends. Sometimes I'll switch it up and throw it on everything You're bagel. You're open to a few? Okay. But usually I just get it on a hero. That's what you meant by hero. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah, the bacon, egg, and cheese in New York, so like, I'd be seeing them in some of like, their fucking bodega. I follow so... <laughs> the, the amount of bodega Instagram pages I follow is probably unhealthy because I don't even live in New York, bro. Right. Um, but with that being said, obviously, their, their morning fucking menus hit different yes, than I do. think any other place in the like, world. Literally, it sounds so like small and minuscule, but like... When you get up in the morning and you go to that bodega, like mine's literally across the street from me. I spend hundreds That's of dollars money, a month dude. there. Like they know me on a first name basis. I'm friends with everyone, the whole family that owns it, the whole nine. Right. And you walk in there eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning. That bread just came in fresh. It's oh, still hot. It's yes, still soft. Sir. They make this beautiful bacon, egg and cheese. You get the salt, you get the cheese, you get the egg. And then you bite in this perfectly toasted piece of bread and you're Shit. just like in pure heaven. And then you get that dollar coffee from the bodega you know isn't going to be that great, but you know what you're buying. It's so you critical. co-sign it every single time. <laughs> I love it to this day. I will never not love it. Like That's those awesome. chopped cheese, pastelitos, um, ceviche, tamales, um, anything of that sort, man. Mm -hmm. Like I am a human vacuum cleaner. You're going like, to fuck I, it up. I, there is not many things in this world I don't eat. I get down um, with that. Especially, you know, like being a chef for your career, you need to know what things taste like. And to be able to really, you know, if you want to be able to show appreciation of one culture that's not your own, mm -hmm. you have to make sure that you're not appropriating that. And you have to make sure that you're giving the credit where it deserved and make sure that you understand the true origin, where that product came from. Yeah, because that could be some, you know... To the everyday person, if you want to pass on a meal, sure, you know, whatever. At least for Americans, I should say. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's there's times you don't get that choice. You know, if you're a chef, if you're a cook, and uh, you know, you got someone who truly cares. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you don't eat seafood. 
you know, you're fucking eating it. Yeah. You know, exactly. it's just those situations. And me, like when I yeah. got to Florida, dude, I did not want to eat seafood. And I'm working on Marina Jack, the only oceanside <laughs> fucking restaurant in the city of Sarasota. And I'm like, well, great fuck, pick. you know, <laughs> here I go. I guess I have to now, yeah. um, you know, but like, yeah, you're absolutely right. You cannot. Uh, just say, oh no, it's out of my norm, so I'm not going to do it. Right. You know, yeah. and that's the thing is, there's so many cultures that are embedded in New York that mm-hmm. you can literally throw a rock, and you can be at ramen, you can be at Mexican, you can be eating Dominican pollo guisado, you can be eating tostones, you can be eating, you know, some roasted lamb from a halal cart. There's everything. It's like, endless. Yeah. One of my biggest. Oh. One of my favorites that I've been eating a lot lately is pho. And that's what they call poor man's ramen. It's Vietnamese. But honestly, I think it's arguably better than ramen sometimes. There is someone that's a big fucking advocate for it. It's, uh, who is, is it David Coe? Is David Coe a chef or no? David Ko. Do you know who that name is? No. Okay. I know I, Momofuku Ko by David Chang, but I don't know a David Ko. No, I don't, I don't know. But I, I, I'm familiar yeah. enough with it. I've never tried it, though. So yeah. it's a hit? It's amazing. Okay. And there's two restaurants that if you're ever in New York City, you must try. Um, one of them being a friend of mine, Helen Wynn, super talented chef, super, super, super genuinely good person. Um, she has her own spot now on Orchard Street. Um, in the Lower East Side called Saigon Social. And I was actually just there for a pop-up last week. She did it with the Thai restaurant called Fish Cheeks. A Phenomenal little collab food. or something? Yeah, they That's did a collab cool. pop-up I've ever had. And I actually had an opportunity uh, that I received from one of the other cooks I worked with at a restaurant in West Village that I got to help her prep for one of her pop-ups where she was making pho in 120 quart pots on the stove. Jesus Christ. So I got to actually be a part of that and learn that process. And like, I don't remember a lot of it, like the full steps, but yeah, like it's probably very fast paced. Well, that's the thing is surprisingly, it's not, it's all about time and roasting and putting in ingredients and putting them for X amount of time and then taking them out and then putting in a fresh version of it and mm-hmm. like building layers of flavor. And it's a skill that I don't have that I really would like to have. Are you building that all based on like your base or your broth or something? Yeah. Like, is it, so it's, it's, uh, to, to what like Americans would best know is like making like a, a soup of some sort then. Right. So Using the term soup loosely. Did I, just, did I just make a fucking no-no? No, you're good. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, it's definitely using it loosely, though, because like it's it's a lot of like protein, like throwing like briskets and top rounds and like roasting bones and roasting garlic, roasting ginger, roasting onions to really unlock that full flavor. So you're pulling out flavors that, yeah, the everyday Yeah, exactly. Soup, soup ain't doing like, that. Like this is a minimum of, I think she will spend anywhere from 8 to 16 hours in her day just taking care of these broths and showing the utmost love to them and like that's love that is showing you that is showing your guests who you are and what you're about in your culture and i respect the hell out of that yeah and think about the confidence that has to fucking take to just be like yeah i'm doing this yeah and it's gonna fucking work and she used to work for uh daniel Balud at his restaurant danielle it's two michelin stars in new york city she is friends with Scott Conant and all these other public figures because of the reputation she's built for herself, not because she carries herself with the ego through the door. 
It's because she loves what she does and she shares that passion with everybody she comes in contact with. Yeah, you got to be grateful for the ones like that. Absolutely. You know? Just like, you know, your mentor, your chef, who, uh, you know, luckily you found pretty early on, yeah. you know, to leave those impacts. And that's the thing is like you also develop multiple mentorships in your time, in your career. Like, you know, every restaurant you work at, you find a new mentor, whether mm-hmm. you realize it or not. Someone's grooming you to be somebody. Absolutely. They just need to know that you're invested. And sometimes it's it, it as you go on, it's a little bit easier to let people let down their doors, you know, right. especially like we're still young enough to still take plenty, obviously. And, and, you know, in your business, you always stay enough. a student, you know, <laughs> I've had enough of that shit, <laughs> <laughs> but you, we're still so young that like you can always just keep looking up for people and, right. and finding more information and, and unlocking new um, skill sets, you know, and that, that to me is, uh, is an amazing, is and, amazing. Yeah. Thing. And it's also reaching for your own higher purpose for your own self. Mm-hmm. Like, you Another know, feather in your cap. Yep. And like one of the most rewarding things, you know, is like when you get to a point where you get to be in that position of power, you know, you really have to make a decision in that moment of who you're going to be as a leader. And in my time being a leader, you know, I was fortunate enough to have an incredible staff that I had the opportunity and the pleasure to not only have them work under me but work with me mm-hmm. i don't view them as lesser because they're not because at the end of the day this goes back to what we're saying earlier it doesn't matter how talented i am i can't do it by myself so That's if i don't team. believe in my team they aren't going to believe in me and yeah. if they don't believe in me we're not going anywhere and we're about to have the worst service of our life and these guests are not coming back i like that i like that it's so. all about being humble and understanding how you impact people and like I've been grateful to have an impact on people and people think that you have to have a hundred thousand followers to, you know, really make a mark, but you don't, you really don't. Couldn't be any farther from the truth. You right. know, it's about how you carry yourself, who you are as a person, how you're willing to lend that hand that you wish someone had extended to you when mm-hmm. you needed it. Or for the ones that did do it, yeah, you know, and you're just paying it forward now. Right. And that's something I truly believe in. Anytime I can pay it forward, I do. I oh, yeah. love to see people grow. And, and when you get to see the realness of it and you get to experience and you watch somebody make a mistake and you see how down they are about it and you're here saying, you know what, like, hey, it's okay. Like, we're going to fix this and we're going to get it right. Mm-hmm. And then the next time you do it with them one more time, then the following time they do it by themselves and you watch them crush it. But the thing is, is that they don't want you to see that reaction. Like, I didn't want my chef to see me being so proud of, like, something that I thought was stupid that I messed up. I was like, in my head, I'm like, yes. Like, quiet. But you you have your quiet victories. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you actually get to see it from a leadership position and you see it in their face and you see that pride, it makes you feel better. Because you know you did the right thing and you help somebody to be a better version of themselves. Yeah, that's got to be probably one of the most rewarding feelings. And it keeps you humble because the team you work with, it's a lot about what people say, like, you know, you are, you are with who you spend your time with. Mm -hmm. Like you are a reflection of your friends. Yeah. Yeah, Like it's the same, it's the same thing. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, like it's the same thing with being a chef. Mm -hmm. Like it is exactly the same thing. Like if you're working in an environment where it's supportive, everybody's going to be firing on all cylinders and everybody's going to want to work at your restaurant. Everybody's going to want to eat at your restaurant. There's going to be a waiting list so long that they're booking months in advance. Yeah. Fucking well-oiled machine. Right. So when you're running a full-on Titan of a kitchen and you're putting out beautiful product and your team loves what they're doing, you love what you're doing, the energy reflects in that kitchen and everyone's just firing left and right. 
and you're just like at the end of the day everybody comes together like fuck yeah guys like great job we did this today we accomplished this and right. it gives you a, a sense of self-worth it makes you it reminds you that you're a part of something greater than you and and that is obviously what i feel like we should strive for in life 100 you know? um before we wrap up today i do want to end this on a very very light note um culinary movies do you find inspira inspiration and shit like that here's what i've here's what i've learned you know <laughs> to the everyday person they can watch a movie like chef or burnt and uh love it and then sometimes it depends on who you meet in the restaurant business right. but some people fucking despise those movies yeah and others you know they're like yeah it's all right i've never met someone like a, a true chef that's like i fucking love chef but <laughs> um you know i've definitely met people that that uh are like yeah that's that i like it yeah you know so for me personally i mean i'm honestly not really a, a movie watcher which is odd but it is what it is um, mm -hmm. But, like, when it comes to stuff, like, food-related, like, documentaries, I'm definitely, like, I'm all in that shit. Like, yeah. Catch me on a documentary. Don't get me wrong. Chef and Burnt were both good movies. Um, but it's not also an accurate depiction. Like, I guess, like, for me, like, you know, watching the movie Chef um, or Burnt, like, they're two very different scenarios. Um, like, they start the same, but they end differently. Mm -hmm. And chef is more so you know about um getting back to what you love and not letting anyone take your passion away from you and like you know exploring your other options to your level of success and sharing your story and creating your brand um where as opposed to burnt is polar a pretty, opposite a, yeah polar opposite but it's also a pretty real depiction of a lot of three michelin star kitchens that's a vogue dude that's a foul ending. especially outside of the country Mm -hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. There were New uh, York has it was that French was in, cuisine. That one was in London, I believe, if I remember correctly. Was it French cuisine though? Or, yeah. Okay. If I remember correct correctly, it's been a minute since I've seen it. Um, but that being said, like you know that anger and that tension and that toxicity, like that's very alive and People real, and grudges. it happens every single day. And that's not every restaurant by any means, mm -hmm. but there are definitely those that exist, and like. A lot of people had mixed feelings in the industry about it. A lot of people were like, oh, you know, like, Burnt was a bullshit movie. Like, Bradley Cooper, like, all this. But, like, Bradley Cooper actually trained under a uh, Michelin-trained chef to do this part in the movie. Yeah, there were some scenes yeah. where, like, as, as I'm not, you know, going to say chef, but, like, as a cook, like, I was, like, respect. Like, yeah. I, uh... Like, you have to I give it to you're him doing there. That. Right, but at the same time, like... He has no idea what it's like to work in a real kitchen. Right, right. Put him there on the weekend. Yeah, you know? like, put him there from you'll Thursday be in the corner, to Sunday. Bro. You'll be in the corner hanging out. Like, no, thank you. I don't want any more of mm -hmm. this. Exactly. So, you know, honestly, if we had fucking more time, for you guys, you're going to be seeing this, who knows, probably tomorrow evening. We're It's like 12 o'clock right now. We are recording uh, in, you know, the early hours of the morning now, so... Uh, thank you for being here, man. I, thank you I'm, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Dude, you dropped what you had going on first day back in Ohio. And, yeah. And uh, you gave me this opportunity. So thank you. Uh, before we close out, is there anyone you want to shout out? Anything else you want to say? Um, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has been extremely supportive of me throughout my entire journey. You know, like it means a lot more than you'll ever know. Um, there's a lot of late nights. There's a lot of dark places. There's a lot of bright lights and a lot of highs. 
Um, but without having that support and people being able to really appreciate what you do and your gift and what you're able to provide for the world, you know, mm -hmm. there's truly nothing that compares to that. And like anyone who works for themselves, who everyone who takes a chance on themselves, you know, you're buying their product. Like we can't say thank you enough because you're just showing us how much you believe in us. And right. I look forward to the future and sharing more videos and recipes and y'all catch me on some more podcasts and all Run that. It, so it won't be the last you've seen in me. So thank you all. Always love. I appreciate you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again, uh, guys. This is the end of season three of the mind. If I crash podcast, obviously don't forget to like comment, subscribe on whatever platform you're watching from. We will see you come season four here very soon. Big news on the way. We'll see you soon.